you know, when you look back in your life and you have inflection points and you're like, that was definitely one of them. Like it absolutely was. Hey friend, it's David Nabinsky here in Brooklyn. Here at the Portfolio Career Podcast, we help you take ownership of your portfolio career and design the life that you want to live. Today's conversation is with Caro Griffin. Um, she is the VP of Operations at Tech Ladies and the founder of Opsi, a community for people that work in operations. You may remember learning about Tech Ladies on the show from the founder of Tech Ladies, Allison Esposito Medina, in episode 206. Um, after you're listening to this episode, definitely check out that episode. Um, Caro has been working remotely for many years and also has a lot of experience freelancing. Um, we talk about both of those things in this episode um, and we also dive deep on the positioning that Caro has had over the years around being a fractional COO, what that means, how she kind of came up with it, and also a lot about how she thinks about no code and low code to help unlock and solve problems as an operations leader. So uh, if you're interested in kind of that space and, and ways to develop your skill set, this episode is great for that. Um, as always, this episode, uh, what timestamp notes is available on my website at portfoliocarepodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which has the best insights from the podcast and front source job opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Caro. Kara, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to, always excited to chat with you, but you know, this more of a, an official capacity. <laughs> official, official capacity. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Um, one thing that I actually loved recently learning about you is this idea. I mean, it's 10 a.m. on my time, but I'm kind of jealous a little bit of your 9 a.m. daily. I don't want to know. I don't know if it's a hack or not, but routine. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. As I'm, you know, kind of working through my morning, um, I'm not sure, uh, maybe talk to us a little bit about like talking to friends, 9 a.m., yeah. um, kind of how you started that and what you like about it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so what you're talking about is my 9 a.m. friend calls, which I do most mornings. Um, one of the like silver linings, I guess, that I found in the pandemic and in kind of the uh, growth of remote work and everyone like knowing how zoom works and really understanding that and making it part of their lives was this um suddenly like i've worked remotely for seven or eight years now i've been traveling internationally for a large part of that and so i'm almost always on different time zones um from you know some of my favorite people and post pandemic those people it's so much easier to get them on a zoom call and to have like a regular check-in and so um something i did uh, started doing during the pandemic when i was like isolating alone in mexico city um, was set up these re reoccurring calls with my friends. And so I have three of my closest friends. We talk every week at the same time. Um, 9 a.m. just works really well for me because I like to be forced to kind of like get up, get going, get dressed. I work from outside of my house almost every day at a cafe or a co-working space. And so it forces me to kind of like get there and get working by 9 a.m. And then it's just a really lovely way to start the day, you know, to, with someone that I really like and get energy from. And, um, and it's been a great way to, to stay caught up with friends um, and to kind of like be really familiar with the minutia of their life, not just like the big events. And so most of my 9am calls are with kind of the same three or four people. And then when other people want to catch up, the first time I always offer is like 9am on Wednesdays. <laughs> um, you know, and if you can't do that, cool. But like, yeah, it's just, it's been a great part of my routine and, and a great bookend for the day. I start my day with that and I end my day with a Spanish lesson. Um, and it uh, kind of keeps my work contained for the most part. <laughs> oh, I love that. The container is so important because like, I feel like in these days, like you can, you can work, I don't want to say 24 seven, but like 
the yeah. boundaries between it's sure. easier too. So uh, I like this idea of like a starting with energy, but then also have found a way to like end things. Yeah. And so wait, the calls are individual. Is it one-on-one or is it group? Some of them are one-on-one. I have one group call that I do. I actually have a group of friends from when I used to live in Chicago, we had family dinner once a month and it was like four of us chosen family in Chicago. Um, and we would just rotate through each other's houses. And now two of them still live there, but the other two of us have moved away. And so we started doing family breakfast when I was in Bangkok, cause that was time zone that worked. Um, and so that's a group call and not everyone makes it every week. That one's like definitely the most lax. And, you know, sometimes we skip it, but I think even just having that act of like, Hey, are we free this week? Are we doing this? You know, um, I still talk to them so much more than I did beforehand. Cool. And then you said it's easier now to, it might be a little bit easier now to hop on Zoom with people compared to in the middle of the pandemic. Did I hear that? It is. Yeah. I think pre-pandemic, it just like wasn't a thing. Like even if people had used Zoom and used it for work, like people weren't used to using Zoom for like friend things, for personal things. And now we've all been to Zoom birthdays and Zoom baby showers. And so me being like, yeah, want to have a margarita night via Zoom or like want to just like catch up on Zoom. It's like, Everyone's like, oh yeah, sure. Like it's not weird at all, right? And so it just made it a lot easier, I think, to to maintain those connections in a way that just is is really easy and like low lift, right? Yeah, love that. Well, you talked about traveling and working remotely. One thing that I would love to kind of kind of start with or or focus on the topic of this kind of um, fractional COO. It seems like yeah. a little bit of like through your kind of freelance journey was kind of like positioning yourself a little bit as like a fractional COO for people that aren't as familiar with that role or that title. Yeah. Can you like kind of talk to us about that? <laughs> like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I won't like take credit for making it up because obviously other people use this, but it was just something that I was like, I did a lot of like trial and error. Like I, how to like kind of frame my experience and consulting services um, because I think ops are always and operations are always kind of like this nebulous thing a little bit. And so it's hard for people to wrap their brain around like, what does an operations consultant do? What does a senior ops leader do? You know, but I think fractional COO was just a lot clearer to people, even if they didn't understand like the nitty gritty of it, they had like some perception of what it was. And so basically it's just like, a, I think a, a fractional COO in particular is just kind of like a senior operations person in my case, who's like worked at some startups, seen some stuff, knows, like has made some mistakes and, you know, had some wins and like can help you kind of like fast forward through some of that as an early stage startup. And, you know, I think a perfect example is I worked with a startup last year who um, wanted to start a 401k, but they didn't want to do a match. And I was like, here's why you don't want to do that. <laughs> um, because there's regulations that like, you know, that uh, tap in when you don't match. And then it's just like, wait until you can afford to match 3%. You know, like there are just things that I've learned through trial and error that I'm like, here's the thing that you're going to spend a couple weeks figuring out. Like we can just hop to the next piece. And I just found that a lot of, I really love working with like bootstrap teams and smaller, like early stage teams. And a lot of times you need a really good ops person to help lay that foundation and you'll get so much further. But I'm like, you don't necessarily need someone full time, um, kind of with my experience level. And so I'm like, start out like you just need someone you can like run things by and work on special projects. And so those were just things I really liked doing. And so I was like, fractional COO seems seems right. And, you know, like the other titles I've named dropped here, I tried it out and it seemed to make a little more sense to people. And so that's kind of what I stuck with. Cool. And do you see, do you see like no code ops or low code ops as kind of a 
foundational skill set in this kind of fractional COO, or is that uh, just kind of the work that you've started to gravitate toward? And that's maybe more of your, I don't want to say like positioning, yeah. but yeah, talk to us a little bit about kind of like that, the no code, low code skill set and how that might factor into some of like the yeah. work you do. I love no code operations. I think it just opens so many doors and like so many possibilities to keep costs low and get shit done. Um, and it, I started my career as a developer. And so I also think like, I know it, I still, I could never like be a developer today. Like the whole the field has like very much changed, but I know like enough to be dangerous <laughs> and enough to be annoying to some developers, I think when I have to work with them. Um, and so I think no code gives me just in the same way that I love solving problems as an ops person. And as when I was a developer, like no code allows me to solve problems in a really efficient, both in terms of time and money kind of way. And I don't think that it's an essential tool um, in the tool belt for a fractional COO or a COO in general, but I do think it's becoming increasingly important for operations people to have at least some familiarity with the space and the tools and, and what can be done with them, even if you're going to ultimately outsource that to somebody else, because I think there's so many missed opportunities if, if you kind of don't know what's possible. Um, and it is the work that I've really gravitated towards. Um, and I think, you know, you mentioned positioning and I think my kind of positioning as an ops person is that I don't solve a problem with the tool that I know I solve the problem with the right tool. You know, like I have a senior HR certification. I'm really familiar with no code and code in general and like technical things. I like, and have some finance chops, like, you know, sometimes the answer to a problem is a process. Sometimes it's like a town hall for your team. Sometimes it's a no code process to like automate something. Sometimes it's literally just having an outsider come in and be like, why are you still doing this? It's not bringing nearly enough value. Like you're just doing it because you've always done it. Like, let's just stop doing it, you know? And so I really like having a lot of different, I guess, being T-shaped and having a lot of different tools in the tool belt so that I can like solve it in the best possible way. Yeah, I love that. Uh, so it sounds like you really like this idea of like the unlock that that tech can enable. How, how If someone wanted to kind of like brush up on or get started on some of these skills, is there, I don't know, like a course or uh, an in-depth yeah. blog post or Twitter thread or, or something like that, that could like some, some good places to kind of build up some of these skills? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a really great place to start is MakerPad, um, which is one word. And um, I think it's makerpad.co is the URL, but um, it's a, just a really great community and kind of hub for getting started with no code. And actually they were acquired by Zapier, which is probably like the most used, most, you know, well-versed uh, no code tool out there. And so uh, Zapier and MakerPad actually put together kind of a crash course in no code that I think is a really great place to start that I recommend people um, take a lot. And then, um, yeah, I think just like poking around MakerPad, they really have our focus on the education piece. So they have a lot of tutorials and demos. They have a great tool directory. And so sometimes when I don't know, I like have a vague idea that something's possible and I know there's gotta be a tool that will do it, but I don't know which tool will. I like just go to the MakerPad tool directory and I'm like, what's in here under email, <laughs> you know, like what's in here under forms. Um, and I, so I think it's just like a great jumping off point. And then of course, there's just so many great builders and no coders on uh, Twitter that like, that's a whole rabbit hole, but there's also a great community specifically for people dabbling in the no code space called no code ops. And that's a great place to start as well. Um, I also like automate all the things, which is run by an Airtable employee um, who does a lot of live streams um, and, and like very in-depth blog posts automate all the things that that's a that's a that's a brand that's a, a platform that's a it is yes a, it's a i think he's it's a newsletter slash like live stream 
I think is how I would describe it. Um, I'm on the newsletter and he does a lot of live streaming. So whatever your preference is, um, I think, you know, those are some great places to start. And then I think that is definitely one of those communities where like you find one hook and you'll just like fall down a rabbit hole really quickly. <laughs> Between like links after links after links. So yeah. It was such a catchy name. I was like, wait, hold on. All the things? Wait, okay, wait. All is the that, things, what? <laughs> David. We're automating all of them, not some of them, all of them. <laughs> cool. All right. Uh, I have to check out that crash course for sure and those other yeah. resources too. And so it sounds like, you know, you started freelancing and doing working remotely for, you know, for, for many years. You know, Skill Crush seemed to be kind of like a, you know, a foundational kind of client. Absolutely. and. And then, and then after that, then started working part-time or freelancing for, for tech ladies. Yeah. Uh, and that's where you work now. Talk to us a little bit about that kind of like finding clients and then figuring out how to maybe grow into them and, and what it may be like for freelancers that, you know, in this, in this environment might be looking to just freelance as they figure out what's next. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about maybe how, how you approach thinking about clients versus full-time things like that. Yeah. Um, so I worked full-time at Skill Crush for almost six years and it was a great team. I learned so much there with like, I became a digital nomad there, saw the world while I worked there, met some of my best friends while I worked there. Like it was just, it was one of those decisions, you know, when you look back in your life and you have reflection points and you're like, that was definitely one of them. Like it absolutely was, but, and I loved the team and I loved the company, but after six years, even earlier than that, I was like, I was really worried about being pigeonholed as someone who only knew how to do things in that one context. And I just keep seeing people in tech move, you know, every year and a half, two years. And I was like, am I like shooting myself in the foot by not by staying here, even though I really love it. And so freelancing was a way for me to get out there a little bit and like learn interesting things in a new context um, and to, to feel like I was diversifying a little bit and also, yeah, to bring in some more money. And so that's kind of how I started freelancing. Um, I had been a freelance web developer before I kind of got into operations. And so I like knew how to freelance. I didn't know how to freelance with these more like nebulous skills. You know, I think like people know that when they need a web designer and a web developer, they don't always know when they need an operations person. And so I think that was a journey of like figuring that out and like how to talk about it. And I think it's one of those things that, you know, I heard everyone say it a million times and I would give this advice to people, but you kind of have to like figure it out on your own that it really is about salt, like selling the solution and like the problem that you're solving less about like the specific skills you're using. Um, like no one cares that you're using JavaScript for their website. Like they just care that you're building them a website. And I think ops is the same thing. So I think, you know, several versions of my website in when I was better able to articulate like who I liked working with and describe them and their problems that made all the difference and unlocked it. And I've had so many clients come to me and be like, Oh my God, I read your website and that's me. I know I need help, but I don't know what help I need, <laughs> you know? Um, and I'm like, okay, cool. We'll figure it out together and we'll see if I can help you. And if I can, I'll send you, I'll find you someone else, you know, uh, or refer you to a friend. So that was kind of how I started freelancing. Um, and then tech ladies was like a really similar thing. I like was still happy at school crash, but like saw this opportunity, to, to contract for tech ladies part-time. And I was like, well, that sounds kind of cool and kind of applied on a whim. And then I, I've told Allison this, our founder and CEO. Um, and so it like won't be a surprise for her to hear this, but I just remember right before I got on like an interview with her, I was like, why am I doing this? I'm not going to take this job. This is like a part-time like job board manager. Like I'm not doing this. <laughs> you know? And then Allison and I were supposed to have like a 20 minute call and we 
um, I was staying in my friend's apartment at the time and I remember pacing his bedroom for like an hour on the phone with her and we were like, yes, oh yeah, and we could do this. And we just like totally fed up each other. It was a total click and I was like, I wanna work with Allison and I wanna build this with her. And so that was really what got me to come on part-time. And so I did work part-time um, there while staying full-time at, at Skill Crush for, for a while before I was officially like employee number one at Tech Ladies in the fall of 2020 and and let's go crush to work with tech ladies and you know a lot has changed in that time but it's been great and it's been really awesome to kind of go back to like the beginning um and kind of build things tech ladies has been around since 2015 but allison has been very mindful about bootstrapping it it's just been her with some part-time help for a long time and so even though the company isn't new a lot of the problems were kind of the problems that you see earlier on but just with like a more stable and tested product. So honestly, it was kind of the best of both worlds in that way. So. Yeah, yeah, a lot of ways to uh, uh, build upon and 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 kind of figure figure things out and stuff. And I love that how you talked oh. about uh, this idea of like, well, it just sound like you just knew that you two just kind of like clicked, and you're like, I don't know where this is going, but like this yeah. just like feels right. And even though it's a part-time thing and it's just job board, but like yeah. some, something, something's good here. Even, even maybe totally. it's like, hasn't been said as like, Hey, do this for a little while and then it'll grow into things. It's just like, you kind of yeah. like, you gotta like trust your instinct there sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, so many of my, like, you know, of so many of those inflection points in my career have been, and in my life really have been kind of those moments where I'm like, I don't know exactly how this is going to work out, but like, we'll see. And I think it used to be really anxiety inducing to make those decisions in earlier in my career. And now I'm like, it's always worked out before. <laughs> it'll work. It'll keep working out. Like, and you just have more faith. In, or I guess I say you, cause I feel like we should all have more faith in our abilities and our skills and stuff. But I think having the proof point of like, you've been doing this for 10 years. Like, you, you know what you're doing? Like it, it'll be okay. You'll figure it out has made it easier to kind of go with the flow there. Love that. And, and so while you've been building tech ladies, uh, with the team there also started a newer, uh, community and group called Opsy. Yeah. Maybe talk to us about like why you wanted to, why you wanted to start that and, and how it's been going. Yeah. So I, um, stumbled into ops, which I now realize 90% of ops people stumble into ops. Like every time I talk to an ops person, I talk to a lot of them these days, they always start with like, well, I kind of like accidentally fell into ops. And they always say it with kind of like this tone of like, I'm still allowed to be here, right? Like I'm not a real ops person. And I'm like, and some of these people I'm like, you are like the realest ops person I know. Like, <laughs> you know, like I would follow you around and just like shadow you all the time because you know so much cool stuff. And anyway, I digress. <laughs> um, I just felt like I, I've spent the majority of my ops career feeling somewhat imposter syndrome around my knowledge because I learned so much of it just like on the job and I've always been the most senior or the only ops person on the team. And so people look to me for answers and I'm like, I don't know how to get health insurance on a remote team. Like I figured it out, but like the whole time with this voice in my head that was like, is this really the right way to be doing this? You know? Um, and I think the longer I've been in ops, I realized like that is operations. It's just like figuring things out. Like, it's not what you know, it's what you are able to figure out. And so I spent a lot of time just like cold DMing people on LinkedIn and Twitter and emailing people that when I read cool blog posts from them and like trying to build this like painstaking network of like great ops people that I could learn from. And I was like, it shouldn't be this hard. We're ops people. This should be more efficient. Like this should be better. And um, I just felt like there's a lot of great communities out there, but they're tend to be really segmented. It's really like for people ops people, for 
marketing ops, for revenue ops. And I was like, where are my people? Like the people who wear a lot of hats and like it that way. And also I feel like there's a really, there's a lot of benefit to putting these specialists and these generalists together in terms of like helping each other learn and, and solve each other's problems. And so I really started Opsy kind of on, not a lark, because I've been thinking about it for on and off for years, but I was like, it's time to put up or shut up. I'm just going to like start it and see what happens and see if other people want this to exist. And, and luckily they did. And now there are 400 of us um, like hanging out, learning from each other. And so it's a, you know, there's a free community, there's a paid component, but um, a lot of the stuff is free because I want it to be accessible. Um, and so we have a weekly newsletter, a monthly podcast, and uh, we do meetups virtually occasionally too. And, you know, there's like some content where it's really focused on like learning from each other. Yeah. Wait, wait. So what was that? I It's not it's not what you know, it's what you can solve. Is that? It's what you can figure out. Yeah. What you yeah. can figure out. Love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like become my life motto. <laughs> that's like the <laughs> mantra I tell myself when I'm feeling like that I bite off more than I can chew. And I'm like, you can figure this out. Like, you know, oh, I love that. And having a community of ops people makes it so much easier because I can be like, Megan, have you had to do this before? Okay, great. <laughs> you, you have the template or you don't know how to do this either. Okay, that's reassuring. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Any other examples where that motto's come into play? Yeah, I think it's usually when I'm tackling like a really big problem. And yeah, I think really just that. I think it's like where I'm tackling a big problem and trying to like talk myself down off the ledge a little bit where I'm like, it's going to be fine. <laughs> you know, like you can, you can figure this out. And, and also like, I try to remind myself that like 50% is a whole lot better than 0%. You know, like you don't have to launch things perfectly. Like you can iterate on them. And that's been a really big lesson because I'm such a perfectionist that like in school, I would like, I would rather not turn in a paper and get an F than like get a C. <laughs> Um, and so that was like something I really learned at skill crush where my boss was like, like, fuck it, ship it like 80%. You're good. Like, just go, you know, um, we don't have time for this. And so I think being less precious about things so that I can get feedback on them. Sorry. I took it. I took that down a little bit of a turn, but love it, love it, love it, love it. What are, what are you seeing? Um, like I know obviously we're in June, 2022, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, it's been an interesting last couple of weeks and stuff, but mm-hmm. what, what are you kind of seeing in terms of, I don't know, trends or uh, amongst your community of how people are either freelancing, working full time, finding roles, given that kind of uh, what we talked about, about kind of skill sets and are you seeing people want to have more full-time roles or consulting? Yeah. I think something that's always been a little frustrating about operations is it feels like a lot of the jobs don't get posted. Like a lot of the jobs are people are like internal hires, which is great. But a lot of times it's like the person owning ops is kind of like, is is an undertitled office manager so often, or like an undertitled operations manager or someone, you know, who got hired really junior and has like worked their way up. And I think that's how so many of us start. Um, But I think especially when you're like mid and senior, you're like, where are the jobs, right? Like where are my opportunities? And I'm really excited to see that that is changing. Um, I would say like even in the last year, particularly in the last six months, I've never seen so many COO, VP of ops and chief of staff roles um, like publicly posted. And I like to think that this is a a change um, or like a sign of the changing of the times, because I think there's this inclination with ops that I don't see in as many other like specialties, which is this idea that like the founder, the founding team or like the founder thinks that they can like do it themselves. Um, and they're like, I'll just save money and I'll just do this thing. 
And, or they're like, I'll just hire, I don't need an expert. I'll just hire this really junior person, which I've always thought is really a weird inclination because it's like, you think that this work isn't hard or important enough that you can just hire someone really junior with that experience to do it, but you're spending all your time doing it. And like, you're the founder of the company. So what does that say about the value of your time? Like, it's just like a weird loop sometimes where I talk to founders and I'm like, you shouldn't be doing this, <laughs> you know? Um, but I also think it's hard sometimes for people who aren't in ops, even people in ops, um, because of the way that so many of us quote unquote fall into it is like, what's the difference between an executive assistant, an ops manager, a head of ops, a chief of staff? Because they, they're, they're, I always think of them as like a Venn diagram. <laughs> like there is a lot of overlap there. And so I talk to founders a lot and they're like, I know I need to hire like ops help, but I don't know what kind of ops help I need. And I'm like, well, you probably need multiple of those things, but like maybe not all at once, you know? So let's like figure that out and like what's on your plate. And so oftentimes I just have people like brain dump a little bit and I'm like, okay, let's figure out how to, to solve, you know, solve for these things and get these off your plate. And I just think ops people do more than that. Like they get that stuff off your plate initially, but like the long-term gain of a great ops person is that you can really move the business forward in so many different ways. And I just think we're starting to slowly see that like a little more appreciation from it. And that's definitely my like not so secret agenda with Opsy is also to, especially the podcast is to really just like spotlight great ops people and the work they're doing and the impact they can have. So before I go off on a tangent, um, <laughs> I will pause and put a pin on it. <laughs> but so, so you're saying that the, like the roles, roles are growing or like yes. the popularity of the role and the uh, publicity, I guess, uh, around yeah. the different roles. Just like the recognition or awareness recognition, of it, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's getting, it's getting the recognition and the praise it deserves. <laughs> yeah. Slightly. Baby steps. I want a lot more. <laughs> by the <time> I <laughs> For all these great ops people who insist they're like behind the scenes people. And I'm like begrudgingly dragging them out to like, you know, to be on the podcast and to write blog posts and to share all the awesome stuff that they know so that we can all like move our industry forward, you know? Yeah. Love that. Okay. So is there anything else that you'd want to say to people that are thinking about freelancing or thinking about in this, um, that are in this op space, anything else that you think that we missed there? I think I would just add that, like, I talked to so many ops people who I think look at my website and my stuff and they're like, how do you do that? Like, it just feels like a black box. And I'm like, you just have to rip the bandaid off, you know, like put two hours on your calendar and ship something at the end of that two hours. Cause I think that that forces you to really scale back. Like you don't need case studies. You don't need a portfolio. You don't need like all of these fancy things. Just start with like a landing page. You can add to it over time um, and just like own your expertise and what you do. I think so many people are afraid to say they're a freelancer until they've like had several freelance clients. And I'm like, I became a fractional COO by saying I was a fractional COO. You know, like you just, I don't like the term fake it till you make it. Cause I'm like, I'm not faking it. I've made it. I'm just claiming. <laughs> my like made it this, you know? <laughs> um, but I think there is, so to some level, you say that's what I am because that's what you're doing, you know? So if I could like have a little pep talk with every ops person, I would be like, you've made it, you're doing it. Just do the thing, rip the bandaid off. Ship something in two hours. Uh, love that, exactly. love that, love that. Cool, Kara. Well, thank you so much for this. Um, is there, and then please let listeners know where they can learn more, stay in touch. Uh, what would be some great places? Yeah, sure. I am Caroline Syrup. 
um, almost everywhere on the internet. Twitter is where I spend most of my time. Um, although I'm on Instagram, it's mainly travel stuff and LinkedIn, mainly operation stuff. And then, yeah, my website is Caroline Syrup and the Opsy community is at opsy.work. And if you're in ops, adjacent to ops, we'd love to have you come nerd out with me. Awesome. Sounds good, Carol. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, David. Hey friend, thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. Would love to hear what you learned and what you enjoyed. Um, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever is best for you. And as a reminder, I'm just one email away as well. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away which includes the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much.